You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD to B podcast brought to you by New Outro. Welcome back. My name is Tracy Delestro and I'm a second year student dietitian studying at Wrexham University. Through this podcast, we aim to share knowledge and inspire student dietitians and gain insight from knowledgeable and experienced guests. For this episode, we're looking at all things freelance dietetics and I'm delighted to be joined by an expert in the field, registered dietitian Asmina Govinji, to tell us students dietitians more about working within the world of freelance. Asmina Govinci, founder of Asmina Nutrition, is an award-winning dietitian, consultant nutritionist, international speaker and best-selling author of 20 books. Her latest peer-reviewed book, Vegan Savvy, The Expert's Guide to Nutrition on a Plant-Based Diet, is supported by the British Dietetic Association and the Vegan Society. Asmina is a media spokesperson for the British Dietetic Association, as well as Public Health England's Better Health campaign to combat obesity. Her television appearances include Sky, BBC and ITV News, This Morning, Victoria Derbyshire's show, The One Show, Inside the Factory and Food Unwrapped. Asmina was previously Chief Dietitian for Diabetes UK and a member of the British Heart Foundation's Ethnic Advisory Board. She now runs her own consultancy working with the food industry and the media to help ensure that nutritional messages are accurate and evidence-based. In this episode, we will discuss the practicalities of freelance working, such as when and how to take the step, and how to get the best support in this space. We also explore the benefits of freelance working and ask Asmina for her top tips to being a successful freelance dietitian. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Asmina to the podcast. Hi, Asmina. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Tracy. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, it's uh, the pleasure's all ours. And I know you're very busy at the moment. Um, so um, we'll we'll crack on. Um, as we heard in the introductions, a little bit of your journey um, of what you've been going, what you've been doing, it would be great to have a potted history of your career from yourself to hear the different aspects of dietetics and freelancing that you've actually been involved in. Sure. Well, it's quite a long story, so I'll try and be brief. Um, After doing my sort of clinical dietetics, a job came up at Diabetes UK to cover maternity leave. And I can remember as a student reading Balance magazine and seeing, you know, the articles by the dietitian. I thought, God, I'd love to do that one day. And this job comes up and I thought, I think I'm going to go for it. And it was three rungs above where I was in clinical dietetics and in the NHS. And I thought, you know, my, my, my boss encouraged me and she said, I think you can do this, you know. And I thought, well, you know, six to nine months maternity cover, maybe I could manage it. Um, got the job, great salary <laughs> compared to my NHS salary. And I had probably a month of crying almost every night because it was really too much for me. And I thought, look, it's only maternity leave. Hang in there. Because I was getting like 150 letters a month from people with diabetes, with fear of hypos and, you know, all sorts of complications. I was head of um, different boards. I was chairing committees. I was actually chairing committees of experts whose books I had read at uni. Professor David Southgate, for example, Dr. Mike, Professor Mike Lean. And I'm like, whoa, the late Professor Southgate, sorry. And I'm, gosh, I am in this room with Bryony Thomas and all these other people who've edited the Manual of Dietetics, and I've got to lead this. So it was really scary, but I did that. And I found that actually once I got used to it, I could then move on. And I moved into freelance dietetics. I I tell you a little bit more about that later, probably. And now I'm very lucky in that I have a variety of clients and I have done actually for a long time. And it's variety that keeps me thriving. It's that comfort, you know, coming a little bit out of your comfort zone, pushing yourself and finding you can do it. That's what gives me my buzz. Oh, that's brilliant. And it sounds like you were very enthusiastic, especially um, going from NHS clinical experience, which you touched on as well. So do you think having that previous clinical experience is valuable for current freelance careers? 
I think it's essential that you have a good foundation of clinical experience. A lot of people who are students whom I speak to now see what I do and think, that's what I want to do. I think I'm going to get on TV and I'm going to write this and I'm going to do features for the press. You know, you, you might be able to do that. But for me, what's been my 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 big rock is the fact that I've got that foundation of credibility. I've got that diversity of experience. I've navigated behavior change on the field with real people and seen how difficult and challenging it is for people to take on my advice. So actually, it's it's so important that you have that breadth of clinical experience, not only so that you look credible, but so that you know in your heart that you have actually done due diligence, you have worked hard, you have got that grasp of dietetics in an evidence-based fashion, and that then feeds into everything you do for your clients. And that's what they buy into is that credibility. Yeah, definitely. And I think touching on how you said about getting the experience that then builds confidence and resilience as well, building your resilience when you're in that clinical setting um, just covers all grounds, really. Um, so I know you're working on lots of different things. Is there anything that you're currently involved in at the moment that you can tell us about? So I'm working, again, lots of variety. One of the brands I work with, I'm creating recipes for their back of pack. Um, can't tell you what it is, but it's it's a, it's a convenient product in the supermarket. And I'm creating recipes that are very nutritionally balanced that give you at least two if you're five a day low in salt etc that they will put on back of pack so that's like analysis testing doing a bit of photography um so that's really exciting i'm working with a brand a gut health brand and doing their social media so i do videos for them on nutrition tips not necessarily on gut health but just general nutrition tips um, and I advise them on strategy. Um, I've recently worked with a brand on key opinion leader engagement. So I think one of the keys to, to my business is that I give brands access to my networks of, you know, healthcare professionals, dietitians, practice nurses, et cetera. And so a lot of brands will buy into that and say, well, we want to reach these healthcare professionals. And I will lead round tables with experts on, um, let's say vitamin D or on hydration or all sorts of different subjects that are relevant to the brand and get that expert opinion for them, obviously all confidential. Um, and I, I get I get my buzz out of that sort of thing because that also allows me to network. It allows me to keep in touch with my colleagues and even to seek colleagues with new expertise and get to know them. And so that gives me my sort of contact with colleagues. It's really important. And I know I can ring up dozens of dietitians and say, you know, would you help me out with this? And there's never a problem. Or would you like to come to this round table? Or would you speak at this conference for me? Because I'm running this for a brand. So I think keeping in touch with your colleagues in that way is a real plus when you're a freelancer. And I'm lucky in what I do that I can actually call on experts, call on my networks to come and support me with the brands that I work for, but I will always make sure they are rewarded. I will never take advantage of my colleagues. So I'll always make sure the client's got the budget to make sure that, that they get an honorarium for their time. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you were saying about the networking um, and the the variety, like you said, it, it sounds um, it sounds really interesting. So when you were saying about keeping in touch with your colleagues, I suppose colleagues that you've worked with in the past, it must be really difficult trying to keep networking with them as you progress. Um, do you find that a challenge? What's really interesting is that as as I've grown and developed in my skill set, the networks that I'm engaging with have also changed because, you know, you talked about in the past. Well, I, I can remember all those lovely names like Lucy Daniels, Loretta Cox, which most of your audience probably have never heard of. But these were like honorary chairs of the British Dietetic Association, etc. And I was the chair of the Public Relations Committee. So, you know, on the comms board. So actually they were my colleagues. And when I went freelance, they were a great resource to me because I was freelance, they were still NHS, and I had to make sure I had that balance right. But then as my career has developed, I've then, you know, been more in touch, let's say, with media dietitians and asking them how they might navigate certain things or even things like 
how much do you charge? <laughs> That's the big one, you know, because we're not trained to think about money and business and marketing ourselves. And so that's a real skill that I've had to learn. And I've never, if you like, marketed myself. I've never advertised. I've never, it's all been through word of mouth. So I've been really blessed. But um, you need those colleagues to help you with, well, how much do you charge? And how do you, how can you feel comfortable saying, this is my daily rate? And you practice it with your colleagues and you learn that actually we are worth it. We can command these high rates and we do give value. So I think keeping in touch with different networks and different colleagues as I have changed in my skill set is, is what I thrive on. And now most of my colleagues are those that are on social media. They are very active um, on, you know, qualified bloggers, media work, etc. But I will still keep in touch with the old lot because I think they're also my friends. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I think networking is such a big part when you're when we're students, we're told to network with other students from other health professionals and other therapies. And then we go on placement and we're told to network and then we start our first uh, clinical pl- clinical role and you know networking is such a huge part including like MDT working and things so it's funny how the networking continues from NHS all the way like you said it never stops it's important to to communicate it's just um a highlight really of how how beneficial communicate good communication is um so are there any projects that you feel have put you out of your comfort zone at all in any way loads (laughs) loads um but the most recent one is probably where you know i i'd written vegan savvy which is my it was my 20th book so i thought to myself okay nice number to end on you know that's all i think i've done enough now so 20 books finished draw a line and a client asked me to write a cookbook for patients with a rare disorder where they need a very restricted fat diet and it just excited me and i thought God, shall I do another one? And so I I accepted that. And doing the recipes and the analysis, that's my bread and butter. I'm quite happy and quite, that's quite easy for me. But the comfort zone, the out of the comfort zone bit was when they asked me to lead and manage the food photography. And in my books with, um, you know, celebrity chefs, I had been present as an observer when food photography is going on. But this is now, it's all in your court. You decide who you're recruiting, what sort of photos you want, choose the photos, send them to us. We don't want to have anything to do with it. So that was really stressful. And I had to interview, I interviewed five different food photographers, five different food stylists, got them together, led the photo shoot, managed the angles and the light, you know, they did the lighting obviously, but just managed how that final recipe would look. And I've just sent off all the files and all the photographs. So it feels great. I can't wait to see it in print. But that was really challenging. And also you're working with people you don't know. Never met the food photographer or the stylist. They have their own ways of working. I have mine. So, you know, it's really quite challenging to do that with people who are experienced in their field. And yet you're managing and you actually have never done it before. I've never done leading food photography. So I think that really did put me out of my comfort zone. But you know what? I know I can do it now. And now that's part of the string, another string to my bow. In fact, I've just contacted one of my clients saying, you know, I know I do recipes for you, but if ever you wanted food photography, I now have a team. And so that's what I think is the key to freelancing is, you know, just dip your toe in the water in something new. Try it. You'll be so surprised as to how resilient you really are. Try it out, build a new skill, and then you can sell that skill onto other clients. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think it's a really good tip of getting out of your comfort zone, trying it, because until you try it, you don't know. And I think that's what is the you know, one of the many things that makes you successful because you don't just stay in your comfort zone. Um, so sometimes you just have to step out of the comfort zone to see. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's, you know, it's as um health professionals you know there's there's always there's ways of working to uh, learn from your mistakes and um your mistakes will then be there to build on and just gain further experience so um, that's a really good tip um are there any particular areas of freelance work that you enjoy the most the least how do you feel about the variety 
Um, I mean, I, I'm so fortunate. I love almost everything I do because the, the beauty of freelancing is you can choose whom you wish to work with and what specialism you wish to take, you know, to bring to the forefront. So if you're not happy with a particular field of dietetics or if you're not comfortable with a particular um, ethos and values of a client or a brand, you don't go there. So actually, the beauty of freelancing is you get to choose whom you wish to work with and the types of projects you want to be involved in. So I have to say, in terms of the work itself, everything is amazing for me. I love it all. I love the recipe development. I love the, the, the videos I do. I love the posts I write. I love the features I write. You know, I love the key opinion leader engagement and the round tables that I lead. I love the conferences I speak at. You know, honestly, I could go on. So I think, I think, oh God, if it was, if I had to choose one thing that really gives me my buzz, it would probably be the feedback I get from my clients. It would probably be when, when, when someone who I've worked with in, you know, 10 years ago comes back and says, you know, there's this a colleague of mine in this brand, and I think you'd be brilliant for them. And then they bring me on board. It's that buzz you get when you know you've done a good job because it's genuinely portrayed to you. They genuinely show you how much value you have brought them. And I think that's another great thing about freelancing is often it can be lovely, short projects. But in my world, I actually work with brands for about minimum of three years it, it's long-term projects. Some of them I've been working with for 15 years. So you build that relationship, you get that buzz, and you get this constant, beautiful feedback, which gives you more impetus to do even better, and everybody wins. Yeah, I think having, you can certainly see that passion, and having that passion and enjoying your job is such a huge part of any role that you play, um, especially as a, as a health professional. I think if you enjoy your job, it just makes things easier. Um, and like you said, having the feedback, knowing that you've helped other people and also those long relationships that you've got, I think it all helps to make you even more successful. Um, and like you said previously, it's all word of mouth. All of your, all of your experience and your jobs have have progressed from that so um it all certainly goes in the right direction um how did you know when you were working within diabetes uk how did you know it was the right time to move on from that yeah good question i had spent eight years as chief dietitian to diabetes uk so all those scary things that happened in the beginning where i was sort of chairing boards with people whose books I read at uni, I got past that. <laughs> and and I think I had, you know, we brought up new recommendations for diabetes. And, you know, I felt I was really um, in control of, of the position and had recruited even more staff. But I think the crux was that I had two kids by then. And I thought to myself, do I want to be this head of department of a national, the biggest national charity going on TV, writing books, et cetera? Or do I want to attend sports days for my kids? And I chose the sports days because that's who I am. I'm a mother first and this all happens on the sidelines. So I think that was a, a real drive for me that I, I think, thank God, I've been really fortunate. I've done well. I've managed to get this, this job into something that's now self-maintaining, self-sustaining. I can bring someone in. And I chose to start with just working three days a week and allowing myself two days at home to see how that felt. It's really quite scary when you do move, I have to say. And so I wanted to make sure that I could manage uh, financially. I could manage even just working on my own, not having people around and not seeing patients and that sort of thing. So I found that that transition needed to be slow. And I was lucky that my husband was earning very well, so I could afford to. And that's really important for people starting out. They always have that solid backup for yourself. So my husband was earning. And um, that drive as a mother drove me to do the two days a week um, at home. And then I found, actually, 
I loved it. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? It's really nice not having a boss. <laughs> it's like, wow, I can actually be my own boss. I can choose and I don't need to have to answer to anyone. The accountability is here and I can handle my own accountability. So I got the bug, the freelance bug and and left. Um, and it's the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's a big another big leap, isn't it? That I think if if you've got something like having a family is such a huge part, it, it's the main part of your life. Like you said, I think it's so difficult um, trying to work alongside family and everything else. Like you said, sports days, even things like hospital appointments, you're constantly juggling work, whatever you do as a parent. Um, so I think that was a really brave move that, obviously shows it's a massive move that paid off so um it's uh it's yeah it's it's a difficult one but to work as a freelance dietitian do you still have to have some aspects of a clinical work going on alongside it or is it something that you'd recommend as a freelance dietitian how does it how does it work I think it's crucial that you maintain some level of clinical expertise and you stay in the game, because although the type of work I do may not be renal failure, for example, um, it still it still shows that you are you are up to date and you know what's going on. So I will I will still see private patients. Um, I will go to conferences. I, I, I work for the NHS as one of their spokespersons on their infomercials and on their Better Health campaign on the diabetes prevention program. I will work with national charities on NHS related projects. I work with Change for Life. I do the NHS app for them on, on uh, recipes and all that sort of thing. So I think it's really important also from my own comfort level, that I've got still got that sort of clinical expertise underlying what I do. But I think in terms of your outward facing expertise, I think it's really important that you show that you've, you're very evidence-based, you're up to date with your clinical expertise, you have the networks that are still within that area. Um, and, you know, you can add these change for life and all these other names dropping things that you can do in an interview with a client. Not that I've ever been interviewed. It's just, I've been very blessed. I don't really get interviewed anymore, but um, you know, it's just having that basis, that foundation gives you the credibility that, that you are still up to date and that you're still very balanced and authoritative rather than very commercial and marketing and comms related. Yeah, I think like you said about the evidence base, things change constantly within the world of of medicine and nutrition. So, um I think it's it's vital really for you to in in order to progress to keep that that learning, you know, always learning. Um so you're both a registered nutritionist and dietitian. Was it important to you for you to be both? When I was first starting out, dietetics wasn't that, God, I sound really old now, don't I? But people people weren't that aware that, that a registered dietitian is a regulated professional. And most companies and broadcast media were looking for nutritionists. So um, I chose to have both titles of consultant nutritionist and registered dietitian. And that served me well because a lot of companies still do want to call you a nutritionist. But as time has gone on, um, I now know when the BBC call me, they will check, are you a registered dietitian? And there are other uh, media and other companies, other press actually, who will always choose to write dietitian when they're quoting me in the newspaper article. So I think it's it's quite important that you, for me now, I'm, I will always put myself forward as a registered dietitian. I think that's my first title because for me, that's the credibility, that's the regulated profession because we know anyone can call themselves a nutritionist unless you're a registered nutritionist. So I prefer to use registered dietitian and more of my clients are buying into that. But I think it's always good to also call yourself a nutritionist. I mean, there will be blogs and other sort of punchy magazines who will want to call you a nutritionist and that's fine. Um, I just always do make sure they say that I am regulated. Yeah, I think like you said, dietetics is something that's not always been well known as as a as a therapy um, and 
it's growing rapidly uh, these days. So that's and along with the evidence base, a lot of things now, especially in the news. Um, I mean, we're always taught as students don't look at news articles because it needs to be evidence based. So it's it's good and it's interesting now that they're actually reaching out for the evidence based professional view, really. Um, so. For for anyone listening at the moment, what tips would you give to those to, about knowing when the right time to move into freelance work is, if that's what they're they're interested in? I think listen to your gut. Honestly, you will know when you are ready. I don't think any book will tell you. I don't think any professional can tell you when you feel in your heart that I think I'm ready to start my own thing, to call the shots, to be accountable only to me. And I have the financial security to be able to dabble and I'm able to go back if it doesn't work. I think that's quite important. You know, the people that I work with, we've all been, thank God, very successful. But you need to be able to feel I've got somewhere to go back to. And I think for me, the, the going back to my, my comfort level was I had private patients. So I had something that I could, um, you know, could be my bread and butter, if you like, still going on in the background while I was pursuing the clients. And my first job, actually, I only earned, OK, it was a wee while ago, but I earned something like three and a half thousand in a whole year in my first job and my first and only job in my first year of advertising freelancing was a cookbook for Sainsbury's called Quick and Easy Curries, which is now only available as secondhand, <laughs> um, but it's still a nice book. <laughs> and um, it, it was a bestseller. So I was very lucky that that was a nice springboard for me and that I had publishers interested in me as soon as I left Diabetes UK. So that was a lovely project to do, but it didn't earn me very much. So be prepared that your first year, maybe your first two, three years will not earn you very much. So have that financial backing and always have something to go back to that will give you that sense of security because it can be it can be a wee bit scary and you don't want to feel that god have i made the wrong decision so do it gradually yeah i think it's um interesting to think of how many people may start out at anything in life and then give up at the first hurdle but you've obviously continued to jump over those hurdles to progress and again that's another another reason why you are where you are today because I think when you've got that drive and that passion behind you to think no I'm you know I'm just getting started with anything that's new I think it's always or it can be very slow um so that's um some some good advice I know the BDA run courses uh, that I believe that you've been involved in and about how to start out as a freelance dietitian what support have you found particularly useful in your journey to where you are today? Um, it's probably my colleagues more than anything else. I did do the BDA media training course many years ago, um, and that was very good. And the BDA course that I co-run now is social media training for dietitians. And I think that that's essential for us as dietitians to be out there because people are getting their advice from unqualified, a lot of unqualified bloggers could be even potentially harmful. So I think our voice needs to be heard and it's great to promote the profession on social media. So I certainly recommend the BDA social media courses, but my biggest learning has probably been when I go to conferences, when I go to training courses, et cetera, learning from my peers, just chatting to people, getting to know them and learn how they navigate through different obstacles, like like how much do you charge? Like how long do you wait before you contact a client again and say, are you interested in working with me? Or anything, you know, how do you, how do you start a project that you know very little about? How do you learn? I mean, I know we did that at uni, but actually it's very different in freelancing because the deadlines are so tight and you have no one else. You're on your own. You're doing it yourself. So how do you, I mean, I had to, when, when I wrote Vegan Savvy, for example, I, I didn't specialize in plant-based eating. I was just in the kitchen and my daughter rushes and bounces up and says, I'm going to become vegan. And I was like, you know, my, my heart just sank. I thought, I've brought you up on oily fish and dairy. And, you know, how can I now, how do I get through this? And so it was because I wanted to support her in her vegan lifestyle that I had to learn 
plant-based eating, sustainable eating? How do you get all your nutrients? Where do you get your B12 from? And I created this nutrient bridge concept to help people like her because I noticed a lot of her friends were going vegan with no knowledge and just eating ready meals and processed fake meat. And I just was so concerned that all my research, and it took me a long time to research that, went into Vegan Savvy. And she now, obviously, she and her friends now have a resource to help her to to eat better. So those are the things, you know, that was my out of comfort zone project. Again, how am I going to learn about plant-based eating so that I can put my name on a book and say I'm an authority? Well, it took it took years. It took conferences. It took meeting the experts who've done the research. It took meeting dietitians in America who had written about this. So, yes, you have to put in a lot of hard work and effort, but it's meeting those colleagues that actually helps you to have the the knowledge, the skills, and the the creative thinking, because we are scientists, we're quite left-brained in our day-to-day work. So marketing and all of that is quite a creative concept. And I had to learn that. And so I think mixing with your colleagues is probably your biggest tool. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you were saying about how it, having to to learn about more learn more about vegan diets and things i think with society changing as it is especially more and more people choosing alternative diets whichever diets they choose again it just shows how you have to keep up with that evidence base you have to keep up with the knowledge of society that's changing constantly um and it's it's great that you were able to to use that to your advantage to one get the message out there for everybody else, but also to use it for your daughter and her friends and family. Um, I think that's fantastic. Um, So thinking back to how far you've come, what do you wish that you knew when you were starting out in this field? Hmm. What do I wish that I knew? I think you're not alone. Maybe that's what it is, because when you become freelance, and you've gone from being in a department, for example, to being in, in your bedroom, you know, <laughs> it can be really quite daunting that you're now, you know, I could choose to do the dishes right now. <laughs> I could choose to do my washing. I could choose to read a book. And you've got to be very self-disciplined. And I think if if I had known that there's so much support out there, there is all there are all these people who are doing it with you. And there are people who've done it before you, like myself for students now, who are very willing to help, to support, to guide. Um, we've got to keep the profession going. We've got to keep that credibility up. We've got to make sure that dietitians are at the forefront of nutrition advice for the population and not people who just call themselves a nutritionist. So that drives me. And I think if I had known that, look, you've got a lot of support, it will be fine. Um, And I think I've been lucky because I'm quite a self-motivated person. And if you find that you're someone who needs managing needs to be managed, sorry, or needs to be told I've got these deadlines and I've got to do this then, and then maybe it's not for you. So I think maybe I would have liked to have known a little bit more about the type of person that freelancing might be for. So it's not about the skills, because <laughs> you learn those. I did that for the Vegan Savvy book. It's not about your expertise necessarily, because we've got a great grounding in dietetics. We've got our evidence base, always maintain that evidence base. But I think the scary bit is more about doing this on your own. And, you know, I, although I say I don't, I'm never interviewed because people buy into me and I'm very lucky to get the jobs I get. Initially, be ready for lots of interviews. And if you're not good at that, you know, if that's really scary for you, it's maybe not for you because you are effectively selling yourself. And it doesn't mean that I'm someone who likes to sell myself as soon as I was a student, but I've always been really passionate about what I do. And that comes across. And so it's the passion that people will buy into. I've got, I've been so blessed. I mean, I've got people who, you know, might have worked with me 15 years ago as an agency with a particular client. And they've come back to me three or four times in my career and said, I remember you 
just because of the personality, not because of the skill set, not because of my expertise in nutrition, but because maybe I was easy to work with. Maybe I always met my deadlines. Maybe I was always a bit of a laugh or whatever it happens to be. And so I think knowing that there's a certain type of personality that freelance fits. And if you're someone who likes to be cocooned and supported a lot, it may not be for you. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it shows a lot about, you know, first impressions count and from then your ways of working. I know you mentioned about how um, some people may not be able to to cope with it. Do, do you find freelance dietetics to be a competitive field of work in particular? When I first started out as a freelancer, I thought, oh my God, I'm competing with all these people and they've been in it longer than me. And you know, how am I going to compete? The funny thing is, you don't compete. It's just so beautifully cohesive. We actually support each other. So I've never in my career felt so-and-so is probably going to get the job that I'm going to get, or, you know, I've got a bid because this person's there and she's probably much better than me, or he's probably much better than me. I've never felt that because we all accept that each person has a unique style, a unique skill set, and it's about the chemistry that you have with a client because you're with them for a while. So it's that chemistry that's important. And some people will connect and, and really gel with some a marketing director and someone might not. So I don't think, I've forgotten your question now, with it being a competitive field. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, sorry. I don't think it is competitive because, like, I, I, I can ring them up. I can ring up my com, com, competition and I can say to them, look, I'm going for this job with this gut health brand, but I'm not really a gut health specialist. And this is the stuff they want me to do. And what do you think? And they will reply to me honestly. And the way that the reason why they're genuine is because I'm genuine to them. And I get calls all the time from colleagues about, oh, what should I charge? And what would you do in this situation? Because they want me to say this on a on a post or in an article or on a video. And I'd say, don't say it because you can feel that's really an important point. Actually, you can feel very you know, you're working for someone and they're paying you quite a lot of money. So you feel very obliged to give them what they want. And I think as a freelancer, you need to be pretty tough. You need to be able to hold your ground and say, this is the evidence base. These are the health claims regulations. I can't say that your product will, um, you know, boost my energy, boost someone's energy levels because it doesn't meet the health claims regulations. You can't say that. And you've got to be pretty tough. So those are the instances where our freelance colleagues will support us. I've said to so many of my colleagues, don't go there. It's not worth your credibility. It's not worth your reputation. When you say yes to a client, but you know inside that this isn't keeping to the evidence base, don't go there. And that's where we really support each other rather than compete with each other. Oh, that's lovely to hear because especially starting out as a health professional, it's a very caring role working in the NHS and it's nice to hear that that caring role then continues to freelance but also that goes back to how you are as a person your passion your networking and communication so it all kind of ties together to make sure that you do have those connections and you do have that support so that's lovely to hear that even though you're technically on your own as a business, you are still a team of people, um, which sounds which sounds really really reassuring. Um, so thinking about the past few years, did the COVID nineteen pandemic change freelance work for you at all? And if so, how? Interestingly, I got more work during COVID nineteen during all the lockdowns. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what happened, but I, I just think the the work just flooded in, new clients, etc. One thing I did do during COVID, but while I had COVID, was I wrote my book and I chose to go away to a nice country hotel to write my book and I caught COVID. So actually, um, it was a very challenging time for me, but I did spend that time writing my book. So 
And and you hear of that, don't you? People starting a new little cottage industry or whatever. I chose to write a book during COVID. Um, and I was lucky that I actually had a bidding war from five different publishers wanting to publish this book because I'd sent a synopsis through and um, I spent that time during COVID really researching and getting that synopsis right. And I had an agent and um, she sent it off to publishers and, you know, fortunately they were bidding for wanting to publish the book. So I spent that COVID time writing a book. I think it's it's interesting how so many people perceive the pandemic as so different. So a lot of people may have found it really difficult, whereas that sounds very difficult, but it was also a, thinking about it, not, not a, a positive thing, but it you use that to your advantage um, and that's fantastic for you. Again, it shows the type of person that you are, that you just carried on going because for a lot of people, it, it, you know, especially getting COVID, a lot of people may have just stopped and thought, no, I can't do this. Um, so again, it comes back to the type of person that you are to, to have that drive and that passion. So you've talked about a lot of highlights of freelance working. You've talked about um, a lot of things that you need to maybe the person that you you need to be the type of person you need to be self-disciplined what are the main challenges of freelance dietetics that you've found in particular well there are times when you don't know when your next paycheck is going to come in i have to be honest there are times when you think okay i've got i've got this on at the moment but my god the next 3 months i've actually got nothing nothing there and so you've got to be able to cope with that. You've got to be able to believe in yourself and to trust that the work will come and do it with a clean heart, do it with absolute generosity, loyalty, integrity, keep to your evidence base, believe in yourself and the work will come, it will follow. Um, but during those lean times, if you like, they are really good reflection times. So, I mean, I'm usually frantically busy and I don't have time to step back. But when I have a lean month where I'm like, oh, I've got this, I usually have bread and butter clients. I have what I call my retainer clients who give me, who, whom, whom I'm contracted to work for. And there's a certain number of days a month that, that I'm working for them. That's my bread and butter. I know that's ticking along. But sometimes I don't even have that. So it's knowing that in those times when there is literally nothing that you're sending an invoice out for, um, choose to see that as an opportunity. Choose to see that as a time when you step back and you reflect and you look at your business and you think, where do I need to make any tweaks? Maybe now is the time to do those social media posts that I've never got around to doing so that I can start to build some sort of marketing strategy because I've never, personally, I've never done a business plan, never done a marketing strategy. I've just been pushed by all the work that I've, I've gotten. I'm just like, just catching my breath most of the time. Um, but when you do have those times, it's really quite an advantage. Step back, look at your earnings, look at where, look at where you've earned the most money. Go back on your accounts and say, oh, isn't that interesting? I did this big research for the Food Standards Agency, like masses, a huge project and a huge budget. And I recruited I think it was five or six dietitians to support me because it was a national project. I had to pay these dietitians and it wasn't, it was a lot of money I paid them. But I look back and I thought, isn't that interesting that where I've subcontracted my work, where I've had to pay others, that's been the biggest earning year for me. And so I thought that's interesting. So don't be scared of those projects where you have to give some of your money away. So you might find those are your best earners. So when you have those lean months, just look at them as reflection time, a breather. And it really gives you that chance to, to fine tune your business and to find where you're earning the most and what, what you enjoy the most. I don't actually go for the money. I'll go for what I enjoy. The money always follows. So, you know, look at, look at your business and find those opportunities and don't worry about those lean months because something will come. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And I think definitely something to consider for people who are looking to to make that step. It's not as easy. Um, you do. Again, it goes back to the type of person that you are really. You have to be prepared. Um, so as we've talked about, you've done a significant amount of work within the media in various forms. 
what was it that drew you to the work within the media and how did you get into that and know that was what you wanted to do? I always loved giving talks. I always loved public speaking and and I, (laughs) excuse me, I I quite thrive on that. Um, And when I joined Diabetes UK, I had no choice. So I was actually, that was the job. I mean, you know, diabetic products were out at that time and I had to go on news and say these diabetic products are not necessary. We had new recommendations. We had, I can remember we had this um, news story about people with di- people not being allowed to eat on the underground, on the, on the tube in London. And I thought, oh my God, what about the insulin dependent diabetics who were wanting to have their snacks? What if the train was stuck? They needed to hydrate. They needed, if they were going hypo, they needed glucose. You know, I was like, you can't, you can't enforce this. So I had to go on TV to, to argue the point. I had to, I had to go on radio with the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food at the time and, and talk about all these, you know, topical issues for people with diabetes. So I was actually forced into it, but Fortunately, I found I was quite natural because I loved it all. (laughs) So the more I did, the more I was asked to do. And so that really got me into um, being in the public eye. But then I went freelance and I thought, okay, that's all stopped, hasn't it? But the funny thing was that people remember you. And so, you know, I was a regular nutritionist for the right stuff. And that was that was really good because I called the shots. I said, right, we'll do eating for your age. And we'll do, you know, when you're a child, these are the sorts of things you need to eat when you're an adolescent and when you're pregnant and when you're so, et cetera. And, and they would trust me. And I would actually virtually write the script. Whereas a program like ITV's This Morning, that was very much their show. They told me what to do. And I would make sure I kept the evidence base and all of that. And I would create the story, but it was always vetted by them. So you have different types of broadcasters and producers. But I, I learned that you've got to be flexible. And I, I was I was this morning nutritionist for a year and I loved that. And um, I think I think it's just if you notice you are comfortable and obviously it's still scary for me. I still go on worried about do the shoes look right? <laughs> I'm worried about have I got all my facts? And I'm always worried about my peers. I'm worried about someone catching me out and saying you didn't you didn't get that right. So that's more of a worry than the actual real audience that they're after. And that's really quite sad. But um, there is a fear. But I, I, I think if you go into it, dabble in it, see if it works for you. If you think you've got what it takes to be, it is under pressure, to be under pressure, to be able to communicate in sound bites, to be able to be a little bit fun and lively, then that's probably a, a great role for you. And we, we always need more and more dietitians on the media. And, you know, things like Food Unwrapped, when I did that and Inside the Factory, these were like tiring shoots. They were like on location at the Eden Project in Cornwall, for example. You're, you're there the whole day. You're standing. You're doing different takes. You're doing all of that. And in the end, it's a seven-minute or even a three-minute slot that you get. But you've just got to bear it. So you've got to be the person who's willing to put in all that hard work and accept you might not even get paid. And if you do, it's like just a few hundred. It's really not worth talking about. Um, And it will be a long day. And they may not even do your makeup and things. It's not as glamorous as you think. So you end up taking all your makeup with you and your curling tongs and all sorts of things for this shoot because you're on your own, you're doing it yourself. Um, unless you're in a studio, then I've had my makeup done and all the rest of it. It all depends on what you're doing. But um, I think if you think if you want to see if this is right for you, if the opportunity presents itself, go for it try it out, see how you cook. The first one will be very scary, but watch yourself back, which is also very hard, or get your peers to watch it and say, how could you have improved? And if it works, I mean, I I was very lucky. I was was approached by all these people. I never never went to a, a broadcaster and said, I'd like to work with you. It was just people approaching me. And in the end, the person who interviewed me for the BBC job, she became my agent. Um, and she's the one who got me ITV this morning. You know, she asked me if she could be my agent because she thought I, I could do more of this media work. And I became ITV this morning's dietitian. So, you know, listen to the signs. If someone looks interested and says you've got something, play with it. Try it out. 
because they've seen something in you that you may not. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something to to bring away really and and like it goes back to what you said in the beginning take that opportunity take that leap and you never know what what could come at the end of it so do you think in relation to freelance dietetics do you think that media is an essential avenue for it or is it like you said just something that if it feels right then then take the the opportunity I don't think everyone is made for media work and I don't think anyone going freelance should feel that they have to be able to perform in public in order to be a successful freelancer. Definitely not. It's just another thing that you can do. Um, I think what would be useful, though, is social media. I think I mean, that didn't that wasn't around when I was qualified when I first qualified. Um but now I, I do, you know, I'm not that active because I don't have the time, but, you know, I, I've got like eight and a half thousand on Twitter X um, and I dabble with um, other other platforms, too. And I'm on Instagram, of course. But I think if you can if and I think a lot of young dietitians, student dietitians are brilliant on Instagram. Um, so I would and TikTok. So I would say, you know, go for that. That's a great platform for you. Don't worry about the number of followers you've got. You've got. It's not about the followers. It's about the engagement that you get. It's about when you put something out. Does someone comment? Does someone like? Do you comment, etc. And that's a whole new course, I guess. Um, but don't feel you have to go into that sort of media. But I think somehow get into the public eye. Now, that might be social media. It might be, I mean, the other things I did was I went, I, I volunteered myself on different boards and committees on, you know, Diabetes UK, British Heart Foundation. I'm on the editor, editorial board for the Diabetes Research and Wellness Foundation. I do a lot of voluntary work. I wrote articles for NHS digital website, etc. And that gets you known. The one thing I've done a lot is give my time for free in the beginning. Um, and I, I I chose to do that because I thought, how are people going to hear what I do? How are people going to see the value of what I bring? So I wouldn't do big projects, obviously, but, you know, writing an article for a magazine, if they said you won't get paid, I'd say fine. And it would take me a lot of research and checking and the evidence base and the referencing. They wouldn't put the references in, but I know I've got the referencing. So it can take you a lot of time, effort, skill, um, anxiety even. But if you go out there and offer yourself voluntarily, even on committees and boards, etc., you get your name known. And that's what I think has been my big, I mean, I have an unusual name, so that helps. But, you know, getting your name known so that people say, oh, yeah, I know her, I remember her. That's what you want. And it doesn't need to be on TV or radio. Yeah, that's some uh, some really good pointers. And obviously, you t you've said about social media. And um, I think that's such a, an up to date, big thing at the moment, like you were saying, you've got the BDA social media course that you run. Um, and as a student dietitian myself, the first thing was, was obviously, make sure that it's regulated and you're you're careful about what you put on social media as a training health professional but use it to your advantage um and i don't know anybody on my course who doesn't use uh, social media in some way to promote things um and also stay up to date with other people like you said there's so much stuff out there it's it's um vital to to keep on top of the game um so one question asmina that i like to ask all of my guests on my podcast is as an experienced dietitian, knowing everything that you know now, what tips would you give to current student dietitians? You mean student dietitians who are becoming freelance or just? Um, in general, it's, it's entirely how you want to, to give your <laughs> advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say know your USP, know what you stand for, know what you're really passionate about. Um, know your target audience. Who do you want to be there for? Is it children? Is it the mass public? Is it, you know, people with heart disease, diabetes, etc.? Um, I would say keep those networks intact. Go out of your way to connect with experts. So that could be fellow students, it could be qualified dietitians, it could be people you don't even know. Go out of your way to connect and be confident enough 
to ask people that you think are untouchable. I mean, I can't believe I I led committees with people whose papers I was reading at university, whose books I was reading at uni, all these experts, but they're just people in the end. So be confident and approach people, people you may not know. Um, and I think I would say, find ways to raise your profile. You've got to be, um, you've got to be confident enough to say what you stand for and um and I I shouldn't say got to be confident enough I think build your confidence in who you are that self-belief is so crucial you will not be able to be successful if you don't believe in what you're offering someone else so if that means having coaching do it if that means you know going on courses to help you raise your own self-worth your own feelings about what you contribute to the world, do it, invest in that. Because it's when you believe in yourself and what you can bring to others that that confidence and that ability will just leak through. It will just shine. And when you when you offer that expertise that really comes from the core of you, when you're able to give that to others <clears throat> and they see the benefit, then it's just a snowball effect. Then it will just grow. But it does start with how you feel about who you are. And if you need help, get that help to build your own self-worth and your own self-belief. Um, what else would I say? Volunteer. Go on boards, committees. Don't think I might not be good enough. That's that's where you're wrong. Always believe that you know more than your target audience. You know more about whatever it is you're talking about than the people you're trying to reach. So don't worry about your peers and the people above you and all those other experts like I did. <laughs> Just know that you know more. If you're on radio, every, almost everybody listening there is thinking, wow, that's really interesting. So believe that you do know more. You have the knowledge. And once you know you have the knowledge, then it's just a matter of chatting like you're chatting to a friend. You've probably been in a restaurant where someone says to you, I'm going to wait till you've chosen because you know, I'll see what a dietitian chooses and then I'll choose. And you might say, well, actually, I'm going for that because of X, Y, Z. It's, it's stuff you know already. And just be prepared that actually people find that exciting and interesting. Um, I think you need to find your own communication style. Uh, some people aren't vivacious and loud, like, you know, they, they, they prefer to be calm and measured. And I think there's real value to people who are that way. So don't feel you've got to be all buzzy and excited to be um, able to go on the media or to be able to be successful with a client. Some of them actually prefer the real scientists. So whatever you happen to be, whatever your unique style is, embrace it. That's who you are. If you start to try to pretend to be something you're not just because it sells better, you're never, in my opinion, you won't succeed because that's not something you can maintain in the long term. So just know who you are and your own communication style and be that and embrace it and be proud of it because everybody's got value to bring and all types of personality and all types of ways of communication are needed in order for a team to work. Um, and I think seeking support, that would be the other thing. Just be, be, be willing, actually, maybe be willing to help others. Because I think that's where it starts. If you're willing to support other people, it just comes back to you. So give of your time freely. <clears throat> if a neighbor needs help with some nutritional advice, give it freely and it'll come back to you. So, I don't know if that's really answering your question, but it's, it's probably more about a very holistic way of looking at what you bring. Not, this is me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm gonna do pediatrics, that's all I do. You're far more than that. So bring all of you and believe in all of you and share that with others freely and they will share it with you. Oh, that's fantastic uh, advice there. So. 
Asmina, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your valuable experience with us. I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your career journey um, and you've given us a, a really good insight into the area of freelance, freelance working. So thank you so much. It's been an um, absolute pleasure. Oh, it's great. I particularly enjoyed like you just said, the, the holistic approach, the, you know, it just shows that you're a passionate, caring person, the the tips on networking with colleagues old and new is, is still so vital. And also really interesting to hear about the volunteering, no matter how successful you are, still giving something back. I found that a really lovely aspect. So thank you very much. Thank you. Asmina's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at. A huge thank you once again to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, then please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach out to even more RD2Bs for future shows. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be out soon, so please come back and take a listen. Bye.